Ronananian. Got in the truck, and lo and behold, the gas gauge is on him. And I said, well, the gas gauge must be broken, because... Nobody would really drop off a vehicle for a running problem with no gas in it, right? I mean, how dumb can people be? The car doctor. When I talked to the owner a short time later, I said, by the way, I guess the gas gauge is broken. He said, no, it works. Why? I said, well, the gas gauge is on the end that says low fuel lights on. He goes, oh, yeah, it's out of gas. You can stop and put gas in it for me, right? Yeah, I can do that. I can wash it, too, if you want. It's just going to cost you. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in, sit down. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls, answer your questions, solve your automobile problems, and just chat with you in general about that thing out in the garage or the driveway that uh, keeps you going and gets you back and forth from wherever it is you're traveling to. Car Doctor phone number, as I said, is 855-560-9900. And let me point out that that is the 24-7 Car Doctor phone number. That number has a messaging service on it. So if you're within the sounds of my voice, whether we're on the air or not, this show is live out across the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. That 855-560-9900 phone number has a message service on it. Leave a message if we're not here. Fast Harry will call you back, our executive producer, and put you in queue for the next time we're on air. And we can talk to you about your car problem on radio and uh, make it for everybody's benefit, not just yours. And not trying to be selfish about it, but we're trying to also educate the masses, which is what the purpose of this radio show is really all about. We are out on Facebook. You can find it, Ron and Annie, in the Car Doctor Facebook page. You'll also find some information on our website, cardoctorshow.com. And you'll see some links there, TuneIn.com, iHeart, and iTunes.com. And coming soon to a Google webpage near you, GooglePatch.com, I guess it'll be, or Google Patches. Uh, we put podcasts up there as well. We're just trying to make the Car Doctor Radio Show portable and uh, go wherever it is you want us to go and take us however you want to take us. I always enjoy these kind of repairs. It's, it's, it's like getting in one with the machine. I, I think about it like that. We had a 2005 GMC Yukon Denali come into the shop this week at RA Automotive, and it was a simple enough issue. It was the radiator was leaking. The side tank of the radiator was spewing some coolant, and it needed a radiator. No big deal. It wrote it up, gave her a quote, you know, this 160,000-mile, 11-year-old truck, and uh, proceeded. She dropped it off the next day and proceeded to put a radiator in it for April. And it was nothing outstanding. It was a typical radiator replacement and it was really kind of rolling along well, you know, an in-and-out type of operation. Top shroud came off. The engine oil cooler lines got disconnected. The trans oil cooler lines got disconnected. I lifted the radiator out after disconnecting the lower radiator hoses. Actually, I chopped through them because the 160,000-mile truck had original hoses on it. And I thought it would be a good time. Let's put some hoses in there. Let's do a thermostat. The normal maintenance, the normal stuff you would do this this at this age and mileage, and it's a testimony to how good cars have gotten and the fact that it went 11 years with original cooling system components like that. It really was kind of amazing. I noticed it on the install, and at first I blamed the new radiator. I, I, I 
took the old one out, and at the bottom of the old one, there are these two rubber pucks or bushings that sit over these little digits. It's a, it's like your finger sticking down. It was imagine like putting a giant rubber cushion on that, and that attaches to the bottom of the radiator, and then that locks it into the lower panel on the uh, front of the engine compartment to keep the radiator from swinging around. You know, it's sort of a pad, a foot for it to rest on. And I noticed that when I put the new one in, when I put the new one in, the left side, you know, kind of clicked in place and it, it held steady. The right side was rattling. It just, you know, thump, 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 thump. And I'm like, that's never going to work. The car's going to go down the road at 60 miles an hour. This thing will be vibrating, making noise, eventually rattle itself to death. And, you know, what's going to happen here? I took it out. I looked at it. On the right side of the engine compartment, where there was no movement, they were perfectly cylindrical holes. Nice. Machine just right. The bushing fit in there nice and snug. I took the rubber bushing out, laid it in there. It, it just fit great. I was like, okay. And I'm thinking it's the radiator. I'm thinking the radiator's not too not deep enough, not something enough. Put the bushing in on the right side. Rattle, 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 rattle. How do you like that? I found an 11-year-old, 166,000-mile design flaw from General Motors when the vehicle was made brand new. How can that be? I looked around. It had the original front. I'm thinking maybe it was in an accident. Maybe the front floor pan, the front floor, the front, say that seven times fast, the front floor pan, front floor pan, front floor pan, front, that's enough of that. And, but it wasn't. It was original, original Vintegs on all the body parts, so it had never been in a collision. What are you going to do? Now I know why I changed the radiator hoses. As it turns out, the outside diameter of the radiator hose fit perfectly, and this can't be coincidence, I'm telling you, fit perfectly into the hole. So I sliced off a section, like a quarter-inch thick piece of bologna, which I think this is anyway, of, of, of the radiator hose, the upper hose to be exact, and it fit right into the uneven oval slot in the pan. And then I said, now, I wonder if, no, it can't be. Pulled the hose out, put the rubber bushing right in the middle of it, laid the whole thing right in there, put the radiator in, no more rattle. It, you know, you sit there and you look at it, and it's you say to yourself, are they aware of the mistakes that they make? And it made no sense. Be, and I should have taken a picture, but we were in a rush. We're trying to get cars done. It was our We were very busy this day. It was Wednesday at the shop. You know, it's funny. The, the holes on the right were perfectly cylindrical. The holes on the left were oblong. I guess maybe the radiator can shift left or right, or they're, they're allowing a production tolerance to, to match up to other components. They're giving it some latitude. But the dimension for how it sits in that in that hole, in that in that with that rubber bushing around it. But I have to tell you, a General Motors upper radiator hose is the perfect bushing to wrap around the rubber mount of the lower radiator. And it just all fit together and it just, and it worked. And I, I wanted to share that with you. I thought that would be an interesting tidbit. Sometimes some of the things you run into as you run an auto repair shop, as I have these past 43 years that you sit there and you say, you know, you think you've seen it all. Someday I'm going to write the book, Why You Can't Get Your Car Fixed. And uh, we're just going to talk about some of these things. It's just another chapter in the book. And sometimes I think I'm not really fixing cars. I'm just collecting information to write about in my old age. Uh, 
uh, one of these days when I decide to retire. Not that I'm planning it anytime soon. Anyway, hello and welcome. I am Ron Anani in The Car Doctor. The phone number here is 855-560-9900. The full crew is on board today. I'm happy to say everybody is here, and they all look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. So let me pull over and take a pause. And when The Car Doctor returns, we'll kick the garage doors wide open. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 hotline phone number. Give us a call. We'll talk to you about your car problem. Uh, let me point out real fast before we open the phones and get over there and, and uh, talk to everybody is uh, get out to the Facebook page. Posted a picture of a brake pedal position sensor. We're going to talk about that, I think, uh, next hour a little bit. But I want to comment on it and just say that um, we're going to start to do this more. Uh, you're going to look for, if you're looking for more information, if you get out to the Facebook page, uh, we're going to talk about what's there on a regular basis, and I'm actually going to try and coordinate so we do it on YouTube. So if you don't have Facebook, you get out to YouTube, you can see it on YouTube or Facebook, one or the other, same information basically, and to try and expand and open up on our uh, on our you know social media sites like that so you guys get more information and a clearer understanding of what it is we're trying to uh, explain and talk about. And uh, always, your your comments are welcome. Send an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. And we'll be glad to talk about the things that you want to hear because this is your radio show. I just get to talk about it. Harry. Yeah. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah. Did you have a good week? Yeah. Yeah, good. Glad to see you're uh, up and about and chipper looking. Yeah. So um, who do you have for me on the phone? Uh, Ron, we have uh, Bruce. He's up in uh, Lisbon Falls, Maine, and he wants your opinion. He has a Tacoma, but he wants your opinion of maybe switching brands and going to a 1500 Ram truck. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Bruce. Hi. How are you? You're on with the car Hi. doctor, sir. How are you today? Uh, good. My question is, I, I've had I've had Toyotas for 17 years. I have a 6 or 7-year-old Tacoma that's never, literally, never been a problem. I like a bigger truck. I, I looked at the Rams, but I worry about switching brands because I looked through Consumer Report, and it says worse than, liability worse than average in the Dodges with a Here's my problem, and I I think in this case, and I'm not a Consumer Reports fan. I I think some of their stuff is really cockeyed when I read it, but yeah. I think I think I got to tell you, here's where I think they 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 hit the nail on the head. And part of this problem with Chrysler, and I could just say ah they're junk and not come up with a reason, but let me try and explain it. I don't think they're junk. I think they're decent vehicles. The problem is. Number one, parts availability. Number two, who's going to fix it and how. And number three, yes, yeah, some of their reliability is is not as good as it once was. I think for anyone to understand Chrysler, and by Chrysler I mean Chrysler, Jeep, and so on, you have to look at their sales history. In 2014, Ford sold 300,000-plus cars. General Motors sold... 200,000-plus cars here in the United States. 
Chrysler sold less than 200,000 cars. They sold 193,000 cars. You start to look at that, and you compare that to 10 years ago. 10 years ago, if I remember my numbers correctly, Chrysler sold double that amount. And my point is Chrysler's numbers are going down while everyone else's are, you know, they're gaining more market share. Chrysler's losing market share. They're in a tailspin. And I'm not saying it's a bad product. I'm just saying something's wrong. The ship is being steered in the wrong direction. And whether, and I don't, I don't want to make this about Chrysler and their history, whether it's the Mercedes involvement or, you know, now the Fiat involvement, that doesn't matter to me. Uh, my concern is, A, is the company going to be around long enough? Can I get parts for it? I told this story a couple of months back. I'll repeat it. Uh, I have a friend. I have more than a few friends, but the one fellow I'm thinking of about seven months ago relayed a story to me that Jeep Grand Cherokee, a 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee at the time, needed front fenders. Same fender as a 2015. They didn't have any in stock anywhere. Chrysler had to go to the factory where they were putting new fenders on 15s and take a bunch of 15 fenders and put them out into the parts distribution line in order for people to get body pieces for cars and accidents. I still have a customer with a 2005 Dodge Durango shift cable. You've heard me talk about this. He's shifting this he's shifting this poor vehicle using a pair of vice grips. He's holding the cable in one hand and he uses vice grips to pull the cable in and out to find park, reverse, drive, and so on. Wow. This part's been on national back order since March of last year. How insane is this? That we can't yeah. we can't manufacture something like this. And you know, it always comes back to there's a lot of good vehicles out there, Bruce. There really is. But if, 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 if the company is going to be negligent in their approach, and, yeah, you can tell me, yeah, it's over seven years. They don't need to make the part. Great. All right? Uh, you know, I don't care if it's over seven years and they don't need to make the part. It's, in my mind, they've got to look at the population of the vehicle on the road, and I think it's a self-image thing. Yeah, you know, it's they're going to sell more cars by fixing that Durango problem, because instead of giving guys like me negatives to talk about, they could give me positives to talk about and say, hey, they had a 10 year old vehicle, 11 year old vehicle. They still make the part. Here's my third problem with Chrysler. Chrysler is very, very proprietary with their scan tool software, meaning at some point, it's going to break, and it has to go into a repair shop to fix it. Who works on your Toyota, Bruce? A local guy or the uh, dealer? Uh, the dealership. Okay. Mostly dealership, except for maybe an oil change. I'll go to the local guy. Okay. Who's going to work on the Dodge? Well, Dodge, but, you know, I, I, I guess I read things, too, about their poor service. So it's it might, it might make you want to find... Uh, you know, a, a, a local guy, right? Yeah. That local guy to have Chrysler factory-level scan tool capability, to have that same tool as the dealer, is $3,500 for the initial outlay. And I'm seeing conflicting reports. At one point, it was down to $1,200 a year. Just yesterday, I read a report that said they're talking that it's 
$2,800 a year or $3,500 a year for the software. So it's $3,500 to buy the tool, and it it, it seems like it's around $3,000 a year to maintain the software. to continue. And all that tool does is work on Chrysler Jeep products. Yeah. A repair shop would have to work on an awful lot of Chryslers. And my point is that if Chrysler had any common sense about them, they would realize that if they make me happy, I'll make you happy, and you'll come back and buy another one. Yeah. And and not not me as the radio guy, but... Me as the repair shop, the technician. You All right. Certainly, uh, help me make my decision. Okay, I'd probably stay with the Toyota. You know, when I recommend yeah. when I recommend vehicles, and I have this conversation all the time, I tell people there's five major food groups: Toyota, Honda, Ford, GM, Chrysler. I do include Chrysler yeah. in the mix. All right. Yeah. And when I say Toyota, I mean Lexus. When I say Honda, I mean Acura. All right. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I say Chrysler, I mean Jeep. You know, there's something in those food groups. And the reason I say that is because those those companies right now are the easiest in terms of when it breaks, getting information and repair. And there's some yeah. others. Hyundai's pretty good about it, but I don't seem to think of Hyundai as much as I should, I guess. I'll have to expand my thinking on that. And Kia's okay, but to me, Kia is still a five, six throwaway car, five, six year throwaway car, and you're done. But. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I, it's it's just so important to think who's going to fix it versus whether or not it's a good vehicle. That's important too. Well, I really appreciate it. Can I ask one real quick question with a real quick answer? Real quick. Uh, what do you think of uh, extended warranties, paying for them? Uh, it depends on price, and it depends on you know what kind of coverage. If we're talking about that Chrysler. You probably want it for a mechanical drivetrain issue. But if we're talking about, let's say, a Toyota, for example, you're probably more interested in having electronics coverage. Because from what I've seen, the Toyota drivetrains are sturdier and built better. And that first 100,000 miles, as long as it's proper care and maintenance, you're not going to have the issues. Whereas the Chrysler, I see things that, well, maybe not so much. So I'd go for electronics coverage. Probably the most important takeaway, who's going to fix it? and what sort of deductible applies. Let us know what you decide, Bruce. I'm curious for the answer. I'm Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor. I'm back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Give us a call. That number is also 24-7. If we're not on the year, leave a message. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and line you up for the next time we're here. We can have a go-around on radio. Let's go over and talk to Debbie, who's calling in from Virginia with some comments about a 2002 Isuzu Rodeo. Debbie, I, I vaguely remember this call from quite some time ago. Tell us what's going on here. Yes, it was uh, something over around two years ago. Um, I have a 2002 Zuzu Rodeo that in, like, really cold weather, I would start it. It would cut off. I would start it. I could repeat this as many as 20 times. It would finally run and run fine. 
and I tried all the suggestions that you had given me at that time with my mechanic, and none of those seemed to pan out because last year it did the same thing. Well, during the summer this year, um, my vehicle acted up. I thought it was really done, well, which it did, and um, the ignition control module went out of it. And after that was replaced during this uh, this pat the winter we're in now, the cold mornings, the first start and the vehicle started fine. So apparently, it was this ignition control module that was somehow causing these issues. I would have to think that it was affecting ignition as far as spark output and creating a weaker spark when it was cold than required and causing it to drop out. That would be the first thought I'd have. But good. I'm glad it was fixed. Well, my, yeah. my, 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 I, mean, I just thought maybe someone else out there might experience this problem, and that would be uh, something you could um, get them to check into. You know, I'll, keep it in, I'll keep it in my bag of tricks in the back of my head. My, my question to you is, where'd you ever find the part? They found it. I don't know. Um, it was found, and they replaced it, and the vehicle runs fine. That was several months ago, and it's got 232,000 miles on it. And like I always say, buy something you like, because when it breaks, you don't mind fixing it, right? Right. Well, and this one, I'm familiar with it, and in and, and my job, I need to go whenever we've got two or three feet of snow on the ground. And it's always been dependable for that, and so I hang with it. Yep, I get it. I get it. Well, listen, Debbie. But I, I, I appreciate all your suggestions, but, uh, you know, it just wasn't the right thing in this particular instance. Yep. And um, yep. just well, thought I would give you that so that you could keep that in mind for someone else if they have this problem. Well, and I appreciate that, and for the, you know, and, and as long as it worked out in the end, and that's that's really what we're all about here. So I thank you, Debbie, and you go have yourself a good rest of the day and uh, keep us in mind should you need anything else. Let's get on over to line one, talk to David. David, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, how you doing, Ron? Good, sir. This What's is, going uh, on? I'm, I'm Dave. Uh, I, I got a question regarding warranties. Okay. I've got a uh, college age kids and well, one's going to college and they'll be driving on the road for, you know, two hours to get there. And I want to make sure they get a car that's reliable. So I can't buy a new car, but maybe a, uh, a car that is, I'll be the second owner would be something that we could buy. What right. kind of warranties are still left on the vehicles if they have low mileage and they're still within the time period? It, it really depends on what it is you're buying, Dave. And how yeah. sometimes the dealers will sell, you know, certified used cars. Okay. For yeah. example, for example, uh, and I we just went through this in the last three weeks. Someone came into the shop. They brought us a 2010 Ford Fusion, sixty-two thousand okay. miles on the car. Did mm-hmm. not have okay. any warranty coverage. The warranty ran out at sixty thousand miles. So right. they, at my suggestion, they ended up purchasing the car. It was a good car. We checked it out. We did a. We did it. We, we scanned it for codes. We did a physical check. We road tested it. We looked it over for recalls and bulletins, things like that. Gave it a physical, right. and they bought the car. And for an additional fifteen hundred dollars, they purchased a Ford warranty, meaning it can be worked on at a Ford dealer. The the right. the owner is going to school in California. A uh, little sort of the same thing, a little further, you know, New Jersey to California. Yeah. Um, but you know, I said when you get out there, I want you to be able to go wherever you can. But there was no allowance for anyone outside of a Ford dealership to work on it. But that was his choice, and I get that. 
Mm. We had somebody yeah, else. We had somebody else purchase a 2013 Ford Fusion with 44,000 miles on it just two days ago, and that car still had roughly 15,000 miles worth of powertrain coverage, up to 60. And right. I believe for $1,200, they purchased powertrain and electronics coverage up to 75,000 miles. Now, oh, okay. so, wow. you know, now the 2013 was a certified used car. The 2010 was not. Was not, right. So, you know, that right. certified car thing comes comes into play here. And I what I what I typically find is they have a time limit. I think it's and again, it'll vary three, four years yeah. old has a chance of being certified, whereas that 2010 is a little older and they're looking for you to put a warranty on it. Oh, I see. Now, now, I'm interested. My daughter likes the Kia. She likes the Ford Focus and the Mazda 3. But I know that the Kia, they have that 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Does that transfer to another owner, or do I get less coverage? I That I don't know. And my concern with the Kia, the you know, these, these almighty all-covering warranties, if you read the fine print, my experience has been, and I'll say it like that, my experience has been that if you read the fine print, it's all about, yeah. yes, we'll give you a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty, but the onus is on you to prove maintenance. Oh, so yeah, so you got to – your best bet is to bring it to the dealer. Right. You can't, you know, right. Which, about uh, whether or not you had the maintenance. Right, which part of this is – and, you know, let's face it, it's marketing. Kia wants Kia yeah. dealers to work on the cars, and, right, and, and right, I get right. that. That's what makes America what it is. We're all entrepreneurs. But, yeah. you know, if, if you're a good bookkeeper – and you keep track of your records and you keep your invoices, you can go anywhere you want. Now, as far as does that does that transfer, I don't know. So then the next question would be, you know, go out and find a three-year-old, four-year-old Kia with 60,000 miles on it. Ask them, is there any warranty coverage still left on this? Right. That's what we'll probably do. Because, we, we, you know, we've seen them as low as 25,000 miles for, you know, the 2013 car. Right. And it's got to be still under some kind of warranty. You sure. Know? Absolutely. And then I yeah. think I think the new kind of warranty that I'm starting to see used more and more in the last two years is an electronics policy. And a lot of manufacturers are putting, you know, engines and yeah. transmissions with proper care and, and, and maintenance will last 100,000 right. miles without even trying hard. But the electronics are is where the money is now. You know, they're yeah. they're that expensive item on the ticket and you can purchase just an electronics coverage. So you might have a warranty policy that covers the engine or the trans up to a hundred thousand miles, but you might yeah. be able to purchase for whatever the dollars are depending upon the car, an electronics coverage if if the the H you know Dave, the amount of electronics on these cars, the HVAC control head goes out on some cars, it's eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. To fix yeah. the you heater. Don't want to pay that. <laughs> you know, so it, it it gets to be kind of expensive. All right, sir. Yeah. All right. Well thank you very very much. Thank you. You're very welcome. You have a good rest of the day and thanks for tuning us in down there, Fort Worth, Texas Way. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the Indian, the car doctor here, 855-560-9900 is the car doctor's 24-7 toll-free 
hotline phone number. Give us a call. Leave a message if we're not on the air, as that message service is there all the time. And Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and put you in the lineup for the next time we are live on the air the following week. Let's get over and talk to Joe from Long Island, New York. Some questions and comments about Camaros. Joe, welcome to the car doctor, sir. Hello, Ron. How are you? Good, Joe. What's going on? I was um, telling Harry that i um going through my second childhood, and back in the day, I had a 1992 Chevy Camaro, and now, you know, I'm looking to purchase another car, but my funds are limited, um, and I was thinking about buying a third-generation Camaro again, or maybe a fourth-generation, because it's more... Um, you know, more recent and newer. Everyday car, Joe, or Hello? a fun weekend car? Um, just on the, um, you know, sunny days, basically, you know, um, when I'm driving to work on my own. Is it is the car for you or your kids? Oh, um, I was thinking about um, the fixability factor. Like, I know the fourth-gen cars, are more computerized, and that would be an increased expense in fixing it. Yep. Yep. And well, then, um, you know, but, you know, are, are, the are, second, the third gens are cheaper. Are, are your are your kids of car driving age, or are they approaching that age? No, they're young. They're uh, little guys. So yeah. I have plenty of time. Right. Right. You know, I, I'm going to say I favor the third gen over over the fourth. Only because the cost factor, they're going to be cheaper. And if your funds are low, you're, you know, and again, depends on what really comes up. You know, the market changes every day. Uh, you know, I would favor the third gen first because they were produced from 81 through 92 or 93. I forget exactly. But there's, right. there's, there's so many more of them out there that, you know, numbers alone are just going to drive the price down. And, you know, it's also and, a personal preference. Those third gens, the early third gens, were much more mechanical cars than later on when they, you know, the, the advent of the computer made them more and more electronic, um, you know, as comparison. So Right, uh, that's what, that was my fear, you know, um, because not that I'm a mechanic, but I wouldn't mind digging into... Uh, you know, older car, but when the newer ones are more difficult. Right. And, you know, it's it's maybe it's a project. Maybe it's buy a cheaper V6 and replace the V6 with an 8 and, you know, build the car your way. And, you know, and it depends on what your what your preference is. It's, you've also got to be practical. I've learned this the hard way, too, as I'm sure you have, Joe. It's how much spare time do you have and how much time are you really going to put in it? And, you know, if I had to build the 55 all point. over again, well, if I had to build the 55 all over again, I'd build it with my checkbook probably. I'd go out and look because, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it's the, the problem is you just can't find it built the way you want. So that's what makes you want to build the car and put it together on your own. But, you know, as nice as those nights were at the shop after hours, it was uh, it was three years. It took an awful lot to make it the way I wanted it to be. And um, you've got to weigh that out, That is out a good too. point, yeah. Yeah, you know. I mean, you've got young kids, right? There's nothing like dad being yeah, home to so watch my... those kids grow up. Right. 
true. So it's better to uh, get something that I can just buy and drive than to have to mess around with, right? Yeah, I think so. And then, and then you know what? And the reason I asked about the age of your kids, I think cars can be a real positive influence in a young person's life. I really do. I think I think cars fill a very big emotional need if they're portrayed properly and they help teach people responsibility and and a bunch of other things. And you know, if you get the car and you put it together, you can teach your kids how to wash it, clean it, take pride in ownership and. Um, I can almost guarantee if they if they catch on the bug, they'll turn out to be better people overall. If you know what I'm saying, and I think that's a big plus. Definitely true. So I think that's a big plus. Right. All right, Joe. Hey, listen, send us a picture when you buy something. Let us know what you end up doing. Send me an email, Ron at CarDoctorShow dot com, or send us a message on our Facebook page, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. We'd love to see what you end up with. All right, sounds good. All right. Thank- All right, yeah, I'll keep you posted. Thanks, Joe. Good luck to you and happy hunting. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Indian the Car Doctor. Let's real quick get over and talk to Frank in Congress, New York. Some questions about basic maintenance. Frank, welcome to the Car Doctor. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Sir. good. Uh, I just uh, outrun a dog jumped in through the, through the radio on quick. And uh, just some basic things that helps out that I find. I got about five cars between my son, my wife, and a little extra one we keep covered. We used to travel. I find uh, changing the oil, uh, changing the air filter, cabin filter if you have one. Basic maintenance can go a long way, but every time, you know, you go to change the oil, they talk about, you know, when should you change the oil? Is it every certain amount of miles? Does it depend on the year of the car? Uh, does it, if, if the car sits, does, does the oil, you know, go bad? I heard that, that you should change it, or I'll what's tell you, your idea I'll, on that? I, I, I tell you, Frank, this is how I've, I've answered this question, and I, I don't mind answering it again at all. If you got in the car Great. in New Jersey warmed it up, and drove to California at 55 miles an hour and never shut it off, on a, on a modern-day car, something built in the last five years and maybe even further back, that oil would probably last eight to 10,000 miles. It would just stay that clean. It's, it's a constant temperature, a constant load with no change. What, what kills oil, and I'm talking a synthetic, what kills oil is the stop and go, is the, the the constant start and stop, is the shut it off, cool down, is the heat up, is the change in engine load, the change in um, how that vehicle is used. So right, right. when I explain for an oil drain interval, I'm talking general dynamics that are safe. Most synthetics on the market today, five to 6,000 miles, and you're well within the limits of the filter, and most people don't think about that. Oil filters unless it's a special heavy-duty filter, a better piece. Right. And you should be using a better piece anyway uh, in terms of an oil filter. We don't talk about that a lot. Um, you know, uh, the car? I got a car that I got covered. I got a, a 2001 Ford Explorer that I use. Uh, I haven't, you know, I'll put the cover on it, and it will sit. And I might take it for, I use it for long trips. Uh, I would probably be using synthetic in that, Frank, and I'd be changing the oil every six months regardless of how much I drive it because that synthetic is going to be susceptible to condensation and it's going to break down over time and it becomes an issue. And the fact is that 2001 Explorer, what are you better off changing? The oil 
or an engine or an engine component. Something to think about. Always go for the pocketbook. I'm Ron Anini in the car, Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.